If you would rise with me for the reading of scripture, we will be reading from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. I'm reading in the ESV. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Lynn, uh, for reading scripture this morning. And if you have your Bibles, uh, we were here in Acts chapter 9. Uh, you can place a bookmark there and also go over to Galatians chapter number 1. Uh, Acts chapter 9 will be there uh, here in just a few moments. Uh, and Galatians chapter number 1. Several years ago, I woke up to excruciating pain in my foot, and I wasn't sure what it was. And after some talkings with different doctors and some family members, I found out that I've been blessed with a wonderful thing called gout. And it's, uh, I called my grandfather and he goes, oh yeah, I've had that for years. Thanks, Pop, for passing it down to me. Uh, they did say a lot of it was hereditary, uh, just my body chemistry and uh, yeah, and so I have to be careful what I eat, certain things, and uh, uh, Dave Seneff was a great person, compatriot with me in that, and uh, yeah, so this, this end of, or excuse me, I should say Friday was pretty bad, Saturday was rough, but God is good, and uh, <laughs> so my brothers remind me that I have an old man disease, so uh because I remind them that I have better hair than them, so it works. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I'm thankful for uh, Terry to take my place yesterday and a uh, great time by the teens as they were down in Chicago. Galatians chapter 1, as we are walking through this book uh, and studying uh, what Paul is trying to teach the Galatian people, and uh, as we notice today from our scripture reading, we'll be talking a little bit about some of his conversion as well. On March 21st, 1748, a terrible storm woke up the crew of a ship called the Greyhound. Uh, they had left the west coast of Africa, and they were headed back to England, and they were carrying a lot of things from Africa, uh, gold and ivory, uh, things back then like beeswax, that was a really big uh, popular thing that would be transported, uh, some lumber. Well, anyway, the storm hit in the middle of the night, and the crew started panicking. Below decks, John was asleep in his cabin. And he was awakened by icy cold water splashing him. So he jumped out of his hammock and he noticed the ship was in peril. And so he ran to the pumps and tried to help pump water out of the ship. And of course, he can't keep up with it, uh, all the water that's coming in. 
And the bigger problem was, was that John didn't know how to swim. And so later, he would write about that night, and he would describe that moment of realization. And he says, I was unfit to live and unfit to die. See, John's life before that night on the ship was, had sort of swirled into this, this wickedness and, and, and wretchedness, if you will. Uh, sailors uh, are not known for their gentle language. But John spoke in such a way that it was, other sailors described him as being vulgar. Uh, John was called the great blasphemer. His sexual promiscuity was very well known, and he was known to take advantage of African slaves on the ships just to satisfy his urges. He himself did not particularly like to drink, but he wrote that he would get drunk for no other reason but then to drag other people into his folly. See, he wasn't content on just being a wicked person. He wanted others to be wicked with him. And so on that night, in March 21st, 1748, if John had died that night, I don't think anyone would have thought anything about it. Actually, people probably would have said he got exactly what he deserved. But he didn't die that night. The story he tells at the height of the storm that night was when he fell down in the ship and he, he cried out to God, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on the ship. And he said that as soon as those words came out of his mouth, he felt like an arrow struck him in his heart. He was rescued, and he did make it back to England. And he often looked back on that night as this moment of a change taking place, where God reached down into really his shipwreck of a life. And so he looked back in the days and weeks to follow as a chained, change continued to manifest itself with him. And John was converted to Christ, converted to Christianity. And a miracle took place. Pastor Ray Pritchard once said, Conversion is a miracle that happens when the life of God intersects with human personality. And John looked back on that faithful night as the moment when he changed. And if you had spoken to him before that night, he would have never guessed where God was going to take him. And this morning, as we walk through the book of Galatians, we get to a passage here in chapter 1 where Paul kind of does the same thing. Talks about his own life and how God radically changed him. Let's bring in with a word of prayer. Father, today, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, we, we know that the gospel changes people. Lord, it, it, it takes sinners and, and, and makes them new creatures. Lord, and while we, while we still struggle with the presence of sin, Lord, because we're still here on earth, Lord, we don't, have the, we don't have to worry about the power of sin defeating us. Lord, we know that it's because of your sacrifice that, that now we can live and we can, we can have hope for eternity. God, I pray that you will uh, bless us today. In Christ's name, amen. A few years after that night on the ship, John actually found himself in this new kind of life. Uh, he had completely left the wicked lifestyle. Uh, he was faithfully married. Uh, he remained faithful to, that, to the lady for over 40 years. Uh, later on in his life, he became a pastor of two churches in Great Britain. 
He would become a, a very staunch critic of the slave trade. And actually, he played a key, he was a key figure in what is now called the abolitionist movement that removed slave trade in England. John also became a prolific hymn writer. And so on a New Year's Eve service, a New Year's service, excuse me, he sat down and he wrote an autobiographical hymn telling the story of where he once was and where he was now. If you haven't already figured it out, it's John Newton. He wrote the words to probably the most famous Christian anthem of all time, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, when the gospel of grace intersected the heart of John Newton, everything changed. And the gospel changes people today. There's nothing in John Newton that he would say was good enough. I'm sure if you were able to talk to him and he talked about his life before salvation, he would say, I wasn't good enough. But he simply believed the grace of God as he learned Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul starts this letter to the churches in the Galatian region. And, and as we saw last week, that, that he immediately kicks off these letter, this letter here with some very powerful words about the fact that, as we look back in verse 6 of, uh, of chapter 1, I'm so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. He goes, I'm, I'm just amazed at how quickly you're, you're, you're turning from this gospel that I preached to you. And we looked last week that turning from the gospel of Jesus to any other gospel is horrific and that anyone would do so would be a curse because there's really no other gospel. But now what? I mean, what can Paul say now? I mean, what authority does he have to say this? Well, look at verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. And you follow along as I read. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then he continues in verses 18 to 24 talking about what happens. And what we're doing is I want to walk through this, the end of this chapter here from 11 down to verse 24 uh, to see Paul talking about his story, about how he's converted, how, how he's given this specific mission by God to, to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, which includes the Galatian churches. And, and his mission didn't come, as we see here in verse 11, it didn't come from anyone else. He says it came from Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to look at is the origin of this message here. Verses 11 and 12. Paul's message, the origin of it. 
He reiterates what he starts in verse number one. If you go back and look at verse one, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and the God the Father. Now in verse 11, he says, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me, what I've been sharing with you is not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, it's not anybody else. I'm not making this up, but the message is from Jesus. Now, I believe that he's saying this twice. He said it in verse 1, and now he's saying it here in verses 11 and 12, because I think that the Judaizers were probably telling the Galatians that Paul doesn't really know the truth. Paul doesn't have the true authority. And, we, and as we read in our scripture reading this morning, that Acts chapter 9 talks about this, this conversion. And he struggled with the people. Uh, Acts 9, verse 29, you read this. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Now, Hellenists are not people named Helen, okay? Uh, the Hellenists were uh, Jews that spoke Greek, okay? So they would be, uh, the, instead of the Jewish culture just speaking uh, Hebrew or Aramaic, that these were the Jews that actually went into Greek culture, okay? They went out into the Greek world. Uh, but notice, even those Jews were seeking to kill him, so there was this, this ongoing tension, if you will, between the Jewish people and this guy named Paul. And so Paul's telling the Galatians, hey, this message is not from me. This message is, or from one of the apostles, this message is from God. And I would say man didn't invent the gospel. The gospel comes from God. We saw that last week. That there is no other gospel. And that becomes, listen, if the gospel comes from God, if, if it's something that we, we say God did this, then it's a standard by which we measure every other set of ideas. It's a standard by which we measure every other religion or philosophy. That God reveals to us his word, and that is the way to heaven. This is not just Paul's way or Peter's way or John's way or your way or my way. It's the way and it's the only way. And I talked about this a little bit last week, that this is not something that man makes up on his own. Grace is not something that man comes up with. Because if we were given the power to determine how we earn God's favor and how we earn our place in heaven then we do exactly what world religions have done. We make up this sort of scoring system, right, that, that focuses on what we accomplished. The natural default mode of our hearts is a works-based righteousness. And however, that's not true. There's none righteous. We all fall short. And so the message that Paul's preaching is the message that each one of us needs to hear, and it's a message of grace, that the work has already been done, not by you, but by God, by Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, grace becomes this completely counterintuitive to our natural inclination. It, it, it offends our natural drive because we don't naturally trust grace. Perhaps it's because we want control. Perhaps we, we want it to be something we can do so we can boast about it, right? 
Paul says it didn't come from anybody else. It came from Jesus. Like this is the gospel. He said, my source is Jesus Christ. A revelation of Jesus Christ to Paul. And he says, hey, that, that Christ, he's my source. He, I'm going to show you that the words of the gospel are not just something I make up, but there's something that God has told us. And so I ask you this morning, where do you get your beliefs? Do you put them in the right source? We live in this great day and age of GPS, right? How many of you have it in your car? One or two. How many of you have it on your phone? <laughs> How many of you use it? How many of you don't agree with it at times? I have to keep my hand up. Turn left here. No, I'm not turning left here. I know that I'm going to go down there and turn left. Turn left here. Shh. Right? We know better? My <laughs> Make a U-turn. Yeah, go back. I can tell you that my parents, uh, they're, getting, they're now using it. And they called me. Uh, this was... Um, uh, I was in the fall. They called me and said, hey, uh, <laughs> we need your help. I'm like, what's the matter? Well, we're driving up to see your brother in Maine, and they live in North Carolina. They're heading to Maine. And, and they said, we're lost. I'm like, what do you mean we're lost? Well, we were in D.C., and we stopped by to see something, and now we don't know how to get back to the, to the place we're supposed to be. And since, Jay, you've been to D.C. a lot, you, you, you know where we are. Okay, what road are you on? And they name some random road. I'm like, Mom, I'm not a map. I don't know. I'm like, I'm in my, I'm like Googling it, you know, where is this road? I'm like, um, I said, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Don't you have GPS? Well, yeah, but your dad's not listening to it. <laughs> well, there's the problem. Like, the, the maps are not that outdated. Just, just follow it. Yeah, but we're in a really, really sketchy part of town. I'm like, follow the GPS and lock your doors when you drive. They were near the White House. I don't understand. Anyway, um, it's really sketchy. I don't know. If we don't trust the source, right, then we don't fully follow it. And if you follow the wrong source, you could end up in the wrong place. Where's your source? And if this is your source, are you fully trusting this source? Or are you kind of like, yeah, I, I think I know better. See, make sure you're trusting in the right source. Paul says, hey, the source that I have is Jesus, not anyone else. He also says, I, did, I, I was not taught this. Now, uh, what we know about Paul is that he was a strict person, uh, a strict studier of the law. Like he, like he trained underneath Gamaliel. He was this, this guy who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he, he knew the law. And he says, I didn't get this from study. He says it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's where he gets his message from. Now, he talks about his transformation he's going to talk about what that revelation if you will did to him in verses 14 and 15 uh, as we read just a moment ago uh, no verse I'm sorry 13 and 14 as we read just a moment ago you see how Paul 
uh, his own words of how he describes his life before he became a Christian. And I'm sure that John Newton would be like, yep, he's the same boat as I am. Like he knew the Gentiles in Galatia, and he knew that they already knew probably about his life. Maybe the Judaizers were even bringing it up. Because he says in verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God. Now, let me show you a couple of verses from Acts that kind of fill us in some of the ideas here of what Paul is saying. The first time that we see Paul mentioned uh, is actually Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we have the famous story of Stephen, one of the, uh, the deacons, one of the ones chosen uh, in the early church who is, 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 is teaching and ministering, and the people uh, stand up against him. We know the story. Stephen is stoned. He becomes the first martyr. And in Acts 7, verse 58, the crowd cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, Saul, of course, is now Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. Now, the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. Who's that? Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But then it says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. He would go to a house... Is there any Christians in here? Well, yeah, we're Christians. Then you, you're guilty. You're going to prison. Let's go. Are there any Christians in here? Yes, you're going. Let's go. Ravaging the church. This is not just a person who just has this little grudge. This is a person who has a passion, a drive, because he sees these as false teachers. Here in Galatians, he says that I was persecuting the church of God violently and trying to destroy it. These are some very, very chilling verses about a guy named Saul. And he was perfectly happy in his career. He's this rising Jewish leader. He, 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 he's known the law. He's lived by the law. And now here comes this group of Christians. And he hates them. As a matter of fact, over in Acts 26, he's actually uh, standing before uh, Agrippa. And he's giving this testimony. In Acts 26, he says, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. He's like, they know me. They known, have known for a long time. And if they're willing to testify that to, according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Now listen, this is the crowd from the Gospels that we look at as the, ooh, look, the bad crowd. Paul's like, listen, I was one of them. And if people, if you ask anybody who knew me from my youth, they would say, he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Like he is, he's, he knows all of the law. He's trained in it. And because Jesus of Nazareth went against 
what the law stood for. Saul believed any follower of Jesus is a heathen. And so I'm threatening them. I'm arresting them. They don't deserve to be out teaching these things. You could say he was extremely violent and very religious. Don't you see the connection here with people today in other countries that are extremely violent and yet very passionately religious? Continue in Acts 26, verse 9. He's still talking to Agrippa. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up so many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He's like, hey, even I wasn't just arresting them, but I was on a council, and when there was a vote to find out if they would be put to death, I said, yes, they should die. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them I persecuted them even to foreign cities do you get the idea of what Paul's former life was like I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it now look at verse 14 in Galatians and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. You know what he says there? He's saying, I'm doing so much better than most of the other people my age. How many of us do that same thing today? How many people today feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right before God. Not because I'm equal to God or better than God, but I'm right before God because, well, I'm better than him. Or I'm better than her. Because, listen, I, I pray more than him. I read my Bible more than her. I help the poor more. I, I'm a better citizen. Paul says, yeah, I was doing all of those things. I was the, if you will, the poster child for the law. And, and, and I was keeping it. And as we're going to find out, Paul says, that doesn't make me righteous before God. Paul would be a great testimony of a person who does everything right, who follows all the laws. He makes straight A's. He's voted the top, he, he, the top of his class. And he would say, all of that was nothing. All those accolades, Paul will call dung later on, that they're worthless. And he looks back on his former life and he writes that all the law keeping still hounded his soul because he was still guilty before God. Now notice the last phrase of verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own people, my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul says that, that, that I didn't just do it. I had, a, I had a passion to do this. I had a drive to do this. Like My desire was to follow the law, the traditions of my fathers. Not only am I going after these so-called Christians, but I'm passionate about it. This is horrible, and when they need to be gone. In Acts chapter 22, we have another testimony of Paul. 
where he says the same thing. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, Cilicia, excuse me, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Notice, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Paul says, I am passionate about the traditions of the lifestyle of the Pharisees. I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. One theologian I was reading compared the zeal that Paul had to the, the passion of the Old Testament. Like, like Elijah was passionate, or Phineas even was passionate in the zeal that they had. And, and probably Paul saw him as kind of saw himself as kind of this modern day hero, this modern day Pharisee, if you will, this modern day uh, person that the others would often describe in history. And I would say Paul is a classic example of a person who is sincere in misdirected beliefs. Listen, sincerity cannot bring you to salvation. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be consumed with religion and miss Jesus. Yeah, but, and I've, I've talked with kids about this at school, but, but, but they're just, what about that other religion? I mean, they're so sincere and they're so passionate about that religion. And I'm like, if it's sincerity going the wrong way, it's still going to take you to the wrong destination. You can be sincerely wrong. Now, turn back, if you will, to Acts 9, where we just had a scripture reading. And let's see what happens to Saul. We set the stage of who he was. He's, he's now living and actively trying to, to stamp out Christianity. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, he went to the high priest. And I'll just summarize these verses. And he says, I want some, I've heard about some Christians up in the Damascus region, Syria, and, and I want to go up there. And the high priest is like, okay, here are some letters with permission, the authority that you have to go up there with the Jewish councils up there, and you're going to arrest these Christ followers. And so Saul gathers his entourage, if you will, and then he heads that way. And along the way, a bright light appears, and Saul falls to the ground. And as we read a few moments ago, Jesus and Saul have this conversation, and Saul is sent into Damascus. Now, pick up in verse 10. We stopped reading in verse 9. Now pick up in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas, Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
So Ananias is this disciple who's living in Damascus. And the Lord appears to him and says, hey, there's a guy named Saul. He's in the house of Judas. Uh, he's there in the city. I want you to go to him. He's praying. And I love verse 13 because Ananias is like, yeah, I know who he is. Like, wait, you want me to go where? Yeah, that guy's arresting Christ followers. Like, is this it, God? Is this me? Am I off to prison now? Do I have to make the stand? And God says, no. No. I have a special purpose for him. You see it? He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles. There's this special calling, if you will, upon his life. And I would say, here we sit in 2020, holding a New Testament that has 12 of that guy's letters. Do you think God used him? God told Ananias, Hey, listen, I've chosen Paul to be the person who's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, let me, let me be clear. We'll see this more as we, as we continue to walk through Galatians. But Paul is taking the same gospel to the Gentiles that Peter and James takes to the Jews. And we saw last week that Paul said, if there's any other gospel, it's not really the right one. There's only one way to heaven. Salvation is by grace through faith. Nothing else does it. Communion does not do it. Baptism does not do it. Confession, sincerity, and good works. None of that does it. Only by grace through faith. So this is Paul there in Acts. Now, back over to Galatians. Chapter 1. In verse 15, he says, But when he who set me apart... Before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. In order that I might preach to him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul goes even further to say that before I was even born, God had given me this special purpose. And I would say the same for all of us. Over in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that, that, that he gives us these, these gifts, if you will, that we are to use. And I personally believe that all of us are born with those gifts. That there are some things, yes, you can develop, and yes, you can grow in, but at our heart are these gifts about who we are. And Paul's gift was evangelism, and it's taking the gospel to a group of people. The Gentile people. Paul had been set apart from before birth to serve as an apostle. And his thoughts here are similar to the ones expressed in Jeremiah or Isaiah or Luke's reference to John the Baptist. Because I think each one carries these unique roles in their service to God. And he said it in verse 16, that my call is to preach him among the Gentiles. And when we read Acts chapter 9, we see this beautiful story of a man who is a sinner converting to a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and he says it in Acts 26 uh, to, to King Agrippa. He says, I was not, notice, disobedient to the heavenly vision. You understand Paul had a choice in that? Like, if you, we read Acts chapter 9, you know Jesus appearing to Paul uh, excuse me, Saul. That's the same guy. Can we just say that? Okay. He appears to him, and Saul goes, who is this? He goes, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. It's hard for you to push back. 
What do you want me to do? I want you to go into Damascus and it'll be told for you to what to do. There is this gospel right there. That's not the gospel. That's Jesus saying, go to Damascus. Ananias shares with him the gospel. You can read it. Paul says, I was not disobedient to that. I followed it. But declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds, keeping with their repentance. Paul was obedient. He made the choice. I'm following Christ, and I'm going to spread the gospel to other people. And he says that that calling of my life is now spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. He's changed. His life has changed. Back in Acts 9... Right after that change, it says that he's there now in Damascus. He's there for several days. He's with the disciples. And he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Like, how many times do we hear of a conversion of someone and our first response is, wait, really? Is that really a conversion? And I'm not here to say that he's truly converted or not, but when Kanye, the rapper guy, when he starts talking about conversion to Christianity, our first response is, eh, did he really? Is it just a stunt Maybe they were feeling the same way. I'm not comparing Kanye to Paul. They're not the same at all. (laughs) But notice, verse 22, but Saul, yeah, the next one, verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. There's your defending your faith 101, right? (laughs) I'm proving Jesus is the Christ. Why? Because I'm changed. There's something new in me. The Spirit of God is now in me. And at first, others are like, I don't know. Paul says, I know I'm different. I know the Lord Jesus has transformed me into a new creature. Now, back in Galatians 1, the end of verse 16. He says, I, 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 uh, am pre- I'm going to preach among the Gentiles. He said, but I immediately did not consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Cephas is Peter, okay? And remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. This would be the author of the book of James, okay? Uh, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. This is what I did. Paul says in the reading there you, that there was this period of time of three years that I went into Arabia. Now, several scholars that I was reading believe that, that it was during this three-year period of time where Paul was given more information from God. That, that this was most likely a time where, where God takes Paul's theology and just completely turns it over. Remember, he's 
steeped in the law. He's trained in the law. He knows all of these things. And to take that, it's not just this simple click. Okay, now it's not that anymore. I mean, think of how many times we've had something ingrained in us from birth. And to kind of come out of that view or that way of thinking would take some time. And so they would say that Paul, that God was taking the law, if you will, out of Paul. It's fun to say, the law out of Paul. Yes, Paul was saved, but if you think about it, he spent years under the Jewish law. And Paul needs time to, to reorganize this, this, this way of thinking. Basically, God needs to give Paul this different worldview. And Paul doesn't need to hear it from the disciples. Notice he says that. I didn't talk to any of those people. I need to hear it from God. I need to study this. I need, to, I need to have God's Spirit working inside of me. So instead of just sitting under the apostles, he felt led to go away and to be taught. And I would say that this accounts for the idea where Paul talks about that the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the apostles. And over in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll see this in just a moment, where Paul says about this, about the communion, about the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord... What I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Where did Paul learn about that night? He wasn't there. He says, the Lord delivered it to me. Now, what is this for us? What is this? Paul submits to a time of reflection and teaching by God instead of just jumping up and doing things. See, we live in a culture that doesn't value reflection. We don't value downtime at all. You don't believe me? Go to a restaurant, go to the mall, and see how long it takes someone to whip out their phone when there's a lull in the conversation. I'm guilty of it. I just whipped it out, see? <laughs> I didn't check it. I want to. No. Phones have allowed us to have no downtime. I mean, remember road trips as a kid? Staring mindlessly out the window. You guys want to play the alphabet game again? No. You guys want to play the license plate game? No. What do you want to do? Get sick staring at these trees going by. Right? Now, we have it right here, right? It's so bad now that they have to come up with laws to tell people, don't be on your phone when you drive. Listen, I'm not, I'm not arguing against phones. But what about space in your life that you can think and God can speak and you can listen? And, and you can have time to have your theology molded into what he wants you to be. God, he looks down at Paul and says, come on, let's talk. When was the last time you stepped aside from the busy life and said, God, teach me? When was the last time you brought a Bible to church instead of your phone? I'm not arguing against phones. But my printed Bible doesn't give me Facebook notifications. <laughs> Paul separates and says, I need a time. I need a time 
when God is going to mold my life. He's going to prepare me. And now what happens in verse 21? Look at the testimony that resulted. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And now look at verse 24. And they glorified Paul. Is that what it says? Uh -uh. And they glorified God because of me. See, the testimony of Paul's conversion is he wants others to know about Christ. I want others to know about faith, to know about grace, to know about what God has done in your heart and in my life, and I want others to know this. Paul's life was not easy, but he had a purpose now. Peter tells us that, that, that Christians are this, this chosen race, this royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who of his possession. Notice, though, that we can proclaim the excellencies of God. We've each been given a purpose, and that is proclaim him. And don't just say, well, he's a great idea if you follow it. No, proclaim how excellent he is. Proclaim him to other people. May we have this, this prayer. May we have this statement in our hearts that says, I would rather have a difficult life with purpose in God than an easy life that is meaningless. And after the three years, he's back and he's preaching. And he goes into the regions of Syria. And he says the region of Syria, this is perhaps going back to Damascus where he first started. The region of Cilicia, this is where Tarsus is. He goes back to his hometown looking for churches. And it says that most of the people there didn't know him. He was unknown in person. Who is this guy? Oh, he's the guy that used to persecute us. Really? Well, God's definitely changed him. They only heard the gospel that he was preaching, and they're amazed. And it causes them to praise God. Remember what he said in verse 10? Go back and look. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? No. If I'm trying to please man, I'm not a servant of Christ. And Paul says, I am faithful to him and they are praising and glorifying God, which is what I'm supposed to be doing. For us, Paul's story is a story that God loves to save bad people. And I would say no one. John Newton, Paul the Apostle, Jay Lovelace, no one is beyond the reach of his amazing grace. The gospel, it's not just good advice from man. It is good news from God. Rejoice in that. And as a Christian in Christ, you find what your heart has always longed to find. And no other love is that great. And I would say this, Christian, do you know that God has called you for a special purpose? First of all and foremost, to share the love and knowledge of Christ with other people. And secondly, to use the gifts that God has given to you to further strengthen the body of Christ. Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them 
if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We've been given gifts. And not all of us have the same gift. And we have a variety of beautiful gifts. And Paul says, use them. Use them. Use those gifts so that others may glorify God and God alone. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, Lord, we know that that our salvation comes from you. That you sent your Son to die for us. And Lord, we My prayer is that each one of us here believes and accepts that by faith. And now, as Christians, God, I pray that you would help us see the the beauty of, of the different things that we provide because of your grace, because of your love, that we can strengthen the body of Christ, that we can commune together, that we can share together, Lord, that we may make our church a brighter beacon for you that we can make our church stronger to fight against the attacks of this world. And in so doing, that we would look forward to your return so that we don't have to fight against sin or Satan anymore. God, I pray that you would continue to transform lives. What a beautiful testimony of how you change people. And as now, as a Christian, that change is still happening. And we are still becoming more like you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. Or thank you for your grace that we so do not deserve. We love you. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.